Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Hey, well, welcome. Welcome. I'm very glad to be with you here tonight. Sorry, I got a bit distracted. I'm so glad to be with you tonight. And if you are here every single week, welcome. I have been reading in Psalm 84 this week, and there is blessing available to us when we gather in the house of God. And uh, if you are new with us tonight as well, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. I really hope that what I have to say is helpful to you this evening. Uh, But even if it's not, know that there is a God who is here and he calls himself your ever-present help in need. So I would invite you just be open tonight, be open to him, to the fact that he might be real, the possibility that he might be real, that he might be at work in your life and in your world and who knows what you might discover, right? Well, I I don't know if any of you will remember this, but uh, about 10 years ago, when I was a teenager and still following the lives of celebrities, Brad Pitt did a somewhat controversial interview for 60 Minutes. Anyone else remember that one? No, I didn't think, no, I didn't, I didn't think that you would. I feel like you're lying, George. It was a pretty standard interview for the most part until about the last couple of minutes when it all started to unravel a little bit because the interviewer asked him, Brad, are you happy? And to which he said, oh, I I actually think that happiness is overrated. Sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not, and I actually think that it's too much pressure to be happy in the world. And not satisfied with that answer, the interviewer followed it up shortly after with, well then, are you content? And his unconvincing response was, "Mm, I dare say so, I dare say so, but I probably won't be next week. But then I will be the week after and I'm content with that. And what I remember was the backlash, because the next day on all of the radio show things and all of the little celebrity segments on TV, people were severely unimpressed that Brad Pitt, of all people, who has a net worth of $300 million, who is one of the most famous actors in the world, who is one of the most successful people in his industry, and who at the time was in a relationship with Angelina Jolie, who has been voted the most beautiful woman in the world, could not say, yes, I'm happy, and could not say, yes, I'm content. And the general consensus was, well, Brad, if you can't be happy, then how on earth are the rest of us supposed to even have a shot? And so that interview left a sour taste in the mouths of many people. And for whatever reason, I've remembered that for 10 years, but what strikes me about it now is that it really highlights how we as a society seem to believe that if we get the things that we want in life, then we will be happy. Right, we really do. I invite you to think introspectively this evening. I definitely can admit that I think this way. If not consciously, then subconsciously. And, you know, maybe we want different things than fame or hundreds of millions of dollars, necessarily. Maybe we want to make a great achievement in our area of passion. Or maybe we want to raise a loving family. Or maybe we want to contribute to society or to the church that we're in. 
But regardless of what our desires are, most of us operate from this baseline belief that if I get them, if I experience them, if I live them, then I will be happy and then I will be content. But we don't get this way of thinking from the Bible um, because we can't, because it's not in there. It's not in there. In fact, we, we absorb it. We absorb it from the cultural atmosphere that we live in and that we breathe. Um, our modern life is largely a product of the thinking of Enlightenment philosophers whose ideas have shaped us for a couple of hundred years now. And these people, they theorized when it comes to happiness that the guide to a happy life is to minimize pain and to maximize pleasure. So if I can squeeze as much pleasure out of my life as possible, and if I can avoid pain as much as possible, then I will be happy. And I don't know that we consciously are aware that we live like this, but we absolutely do. It's just woven into the fabric of modern life. And it's not even, a, it's not even bad, right? That's not a bad baseline belief, and I'm certainly not suggesting we should try and reverse it and maximize pain. That would be crazy. <laughs> the only problem with it is that it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work because the world that we live in is broken on every level and you and I, we have been corrupted by sin on every level. And so we cannot escape pain in this life. And then half the time, our ideas of pleasure, they only lead to pain in the end anyway, right? So where does that leave us? If we can't get to happiness by trying our best to minimize pain and maximize happiness, how are we going to get there? Well, the Apostle Paul, who is perhaps the greatest example that we have for following Jesus, wrote this uh, from a jail cell, actually. Philippians, 10, uh, Philippians 4, sorry, verse 10 to 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What a massive call, right? And a little bit of background, Paul is in prison as he is writing this letter. He's being persecuted for preaching the gospel. And so this Philippian church, they had sent him a financial gift. And so he's writing to them and he is saying, thank you so much for your gift. I, I got it. It really blessed me. But as your leader, as your teacher, I just need you to know I didn't actually need it. I didn't need it because I have learned in the very best of times when I have everything that I need and more, and in the very worst of times when I'm severely lacking, and in all of the times in between, how to be content because of Jesus. So my circumstances actually no longer affect my joy. And now for those of us who have been around for a while, it's helpful for us to note that this is the meaning of that highly Instagrammable Philippians 4.13, right? I can do all things through Christ means I can be content in all things. Um, but, and Paul's not exaggerating here. He really experienced the highest highs and the lowest lows of life in his time. He was born into wealth and prestige. He was really well educated. He was well respected. And then after he became a Christian, he was persecuted, shamed, beaten, imprisoned. And he had figured out how to be happy regardless of what his life looked like. So if we were to do a little compare and contrast tonight between the 2012 version of Brad Pitt and the 62 AD version of the Apostle Paul, who would you rather identify with? 
Like, who would you rather be, right? Rich, famous, successful, incredibly attractive partner versus beaten, persecuted, shamed, misunderstood, and single, <laughs> right? It's a bit of a no-brainer, right? Would, would you say that it's a no-brainer? Exactly, and, and that is where our problem lies. Because the very fact that that is a no-brainer to us reveals just how much our modern Western ideas of what is important in life are off base, yeah. right? Because 2012 Brad Pitt had everything, the ultimate life that this world could offer, and yet he could not claim contentment. And Paul had nothing by value of this world, and yet he says, I can be content no matter what is going on. John Mark Comer writes about how pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. He says, pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment, right? And happiness is about contentment over the long haul, a sense that life is rich and satisfying as it is. And he explains how this is because the happy life is less of a what and more of a who. It's less about what does or does not happen to us and more about who we become. It's less about our circumstances and more about our connection to God and our character. Now, I think of the footage that we have possibly all seen of Ukrainian people worshipping God even as there are sirens blaring outside their homes and their underground shelters or those that are trying desperately to get out of their country. We can't even fathom their reality. And, and similarly, most of us can't fathom the reality of people who have lost everything that they own and even worse, their loved ones from flooding in the past few weeks. And we pray and we give and there's great value in that, but we can't understand Right? But if the word of God is true, then that means that there is contentment available to those people right in the midst of the anything and everything of their awful circumstances. And if the word of God is true, then that means that there is contentment available to you and to me, whatever we are walking through this evening. So might I put the question to you tonight, how happy are you? How content are you? You know, we're all fully aware of the stats on the, increased, on the increase of diagnosed and medicated mental illness in our country. And for many of us, that's not just stats, that's experience. So many of us are navigating some level of anxiousness on a daily basis. So what's your definition of happy and of content? You know, and I don't, I don't mean what would Google tell you if you typed it in to the dictionary. I mean, what is the definition of happiness and contentment that determines what you pursue in your day in, day out life? And what was the first thing that came into your mind when you thought about how happy you are a second ago? Timothy Keller answers my question like this. We may believe in God, but our deepest hopes and happiness reside in things such as how successful we are or in our social relationships. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. I can do this through him who gives me strength. God was his happiness. Christ was his contentment, a life of contentment no matter what. This was Paul's experience and this is the invitation of Jesus to you and to me that can only be found in a life with him. 
And it does sound almost a little bit too good to be true, right? Happiness is probably the most sought after and yet the most elusive thing in our world. And the people who should be the most content often seem to be the most troubled. So it is puzzling. How can it just be easy to just be happy and be content because of Jesus, right? And in short, it's, it's not. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. It costs Jesus everything. It cost him everything. You see, God's intention for this world and for you and I has always been contentment and has always been deep joy. It was our choice right at the beginning in Genesis when we chose to look for our contentment and our happiness outside of God and outside of his way. That was the beginning of the chaos that we now see and experience in our world and the beginning of the chaos that we now wrestle with internally. And so Jesus, in his mercy and his love, he came into that chaos, came down to the earth, lived on the earth, fully God, fully man. He didn't sin. He was perfect in, in the ways that you and I can never be perfect. And because of his perfection, he was an adequate sacrifice for you and me. And so he chose to die on the cross in our place. When they buried him, he was buried with all of our sin and our shame and our brokenness. And when he resurrected three days later, he defeated that sin and shame and brokenness for good. And now we can live in the kingdom of God with him forever. And that is why real happiness and true contentment are available to us. And that is what they cost Jesus. It's not too good to be true. He literally died for it. So yes, it's too good, but it's also too true. It can be our lived reality that we know the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance because of Jesus Christ. And if we are honest, we will understand that it will cost us too. In order to get the real happiness and the true contentment that Jesus has for us, we have to die to our culture's version of happiness and contentment. We have to be willing to structure our lives in a way that shows we believe that the things that are most important and most fulfilling can only be found in God. And that does involve sacrifice. You know, maybe for you that would look like responding to the invitation of a loving God who wants to save you and know you tonight. Maybe for you that would look like choosing to stop filling your mind with the entertainment that leaves you dissatisfied with your clothes or your car or your home or your face or your body or your job or your significant other or your lack thereof and to open up the scriptures where true treasure can be found. Come on. Or maybe for you that would look like channeling all the anxious energy that you feel about how your life is going and what's next for you and how to achieve your goals or what your goals even should be into helping and serving the people around you or the church that you've been placed in. You know, picking up your ministry inside and outside of the house like Pastor Jared has been teaching us. This is, this is what I'm saying basically. Our, our metric for happiness and contentment is completely off base. It's not really our fault. We're all just living in the world and breathing the culture that we're in. So we must be intentional, as Paul was, to not come under that culture and to live within the love of God so that we're able to access the riches of the true contentment that only he can offer us. And so I'm going to pull out three thoughts about contentment from our scripture this evening. And it's not exhaustive. There's much more that we could say about this. But three thoughts about contentment to help tie this all together. True contentment requires honesty. True contentment produces action. And true contentment must be learned. 
True contentment requires honesty. I am really not suggesting this evening that once we get to know Jesus, that everything about our lives will automatically come up roses. It doesn't, we all know that. And one of the biggest obstacles that people have when it comes to faith is rationalizing a good God when bad things happen, right? And that is a separate conversation. But the fact is that Jesus himself told us in John 16, 33, that in this world, we will have trouble. But I'm also not suggesting that if we do know Jesus, that we're now obligated to behave like everything's coming up roses, even if it's not. Because Jesus said trouble and we need, said we would have trouble and we need to protect his image and make sure he doesn't come off too poorly as if he needed our help, which he really doesn't. <laughs> True contentment is not turning a blind eye to the realities of life. That's just pretending. Paul does not say in verse 11, I just need you to know that I'm a really content person because I don't care that I'm in prison. I'm cool. I'm unaffected. It's whatever. Not at all. He says, I have learned the secret of being content even when I am somewhere I really do not want to be and even when I'm going through something I really don't want to be going through. I'm partway through a book at the moment that I'm hoping will make me a better employee. And uh, in it, Liz Wiseman talks about the difference between good contributors and exceptional impactors in the workplace. And she says of exceptional impactors, they don't see problems as distractions from the job, from their job, rather they are the job. Which is true in the workplace, but how true is this in life? How much time do we spend thinking, oh, well, if I was only paid this amount, if only that person didn't exist in my sphere, if only they hadn't hurt me, if only my parents hadn't messed me up, if only that situation had gone a different way, then my life would be what it should. But when we live by that metric, our life will never be what it should because everything is never going to be perfect. Perfection is just not an option for us in this world. And yet most of us are living in pursuit of an illusion that will never be realized. Problems are not distractions from the life that we could be living if only A, B, C, D, E. Problems just are life in a broken world. And the invitation of God is that we might be content within them. And the opportunity of God is that we might choose how we respond to them. Come on. So when things are not okay, and when we are not okay, if we just stuff that down and choose not to face reality or choose to not deal with our own sin and our own brokenness under the cover of God is good, then that means that we do not actually understand how good he really is, right? Because the goodness of God is far more pervasive than being tied to good circumstances. And it is far more real and far more powerful than being this intangible thing that we have to remember but we don't get to experience in the most confused or darkest or depraved moments of our lives. Our God is not a God who leaves us to navigate this broken world and our broken selves by our by ourselves alone. He's the God who incarnated himself and came down into the brokenness and who chose to bear the weight of all of it on his own back that we might never have to carry anything alone ever again. That's who he is. And so if we use God is good as a defense mechanism so we don't have to get real about what is actually going on, we are blocking his very goodness from our lives. God's goodness deals with the reality of life. It deals with where we actually are, not where we want or where we pretend to be. And right there in that place, he has contentment for you and for me. Happiness because life is going well is nothing special, right? But happiness in the midst of pain and confusion and luck, lack and suffering is a miracle. John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness. Jesus is the light. Maybe the miracle in your life right now looks like knowing contentment in Christ right where you are. 
True contentment looks like facing reality, being honest with who you are and what your life looks like and what the world looks like before God and often before a pastor or a leader and maybe even before a good therapist. And happiness found in that place, regardless of what is because of who Jesus is, is priceless. It can say, I don't understand what's going on in the world or I don't like what is happening in my life or maybe I don't even like parts of myself and I wish that things were different. And it can say at the same time, I am content in Jesus Christ because I have access to God and His loving attention is on me. So my joy is not changed by the circumstances of my life or the world. I don't need everything to be okay out there to be okay in here. And please hear me, I I know that that is not easy to do and I'm not under the delusion that it's like an instantaneous fix, but we can be on the journey. I, I find myself praying most days, God, I know that you're enough for me. I know that all that I need to be content is in you. So please, would you help me to live like that's true, right? True contentment requires honesty and true contentment produces action. I don't know about you, but I tend to think of happiness and contentment as passive words, right? They're like sunshine in the soul, smooth sailing, calm waters, I'm content and I'm sitting down to enjoy it. But this is not the case. In our scripture, Paul's writing this letter to the Philippian church and even in the few verses that we're looking at tonight, he's using their generosity as a teaching moment because that's who he is. He's outworking his calling even as he sits in jail, equipping and helping. So he says, I'm content no matter what. And that is backed up by the way that he is not self-consumed even in his own difficulty, but he's found helping others. You know, if we wait for everything to be perfect before we can live our lives for God and others, we will die waiting. God has contentment for us in the here and now. And as we experience his love, our lives will be defined by the fact that they are lived for others. And I will just caveat, not hyper overextended and burned into the ground for others. That's not biblical, but lived for others. When we are discontent, our life becomes all about us. It shrinks. It becomes insular. But when we are truly content, our lives have the freedom to be about others and they expand. And this is really not about how many things you do or what you do necessarily. Uh, I think that my seasons of the most like quantitative output of serving I've done have come from insecurity. Uh, I remember being 18 and I spent this length of time where I would go to work or uni or whatever, come home and stay, all, stay up all night hand making these beautiful, intricate, cut and pasted decor signs for girls at youth. Uh, that no one had even asked me to do in the first place. It wasn't my role. And I remember, I think, even being told, hey, Diva, you really don't need to do that. It's not necessary. But I did it anyway. And look, did I have a good heart? Yes. Did I want to help? Yes. Did I want to bless the girls? Absolutely. But if I had peeled that back just one more layer, I would have seen that the driving force of what I was doing, intermixed with my good intentions, was my need to be noticed and affirmed and to feel like I was important. And so it's, it's okay if that's where we find ourselves and the answer is not to drop everything and bail, but it's to realize true contentment is experienced through the love of God. So when we are receiving the love of God, then those needs to be noticed and affirmed and seen as important or whatever it is for you, maybe that's just me, get met in Him. And when we get that from Him, we're then free to go and help wherever the need might be with no strings attached, right? Things don't have to be about us because we are secure in the fact that God loves us and He's got us. 
You know, in 15 years' time, when everyone is saying, oh, yeah, the pandemic, remember that? What were you up to back then? I sincerely hope that I will be able to say that in a prolonged season when everyone was fearful and everyone was confused and most people were angry about something and when stress levels were so high and people were struggling with their health or with their family or with their finances or with their workload or with their emotions or at the very least with their attitude, that I was a force for good and for God. Right, that I was not so busy thinking about myself. I don't want to be so busy thinking about myself that I miss this monumental opportunity that we have in our historical moment to actually show the character of Jesus to the people in our worlds. You see, true contentment does not produce the need to do things for others or serve in church or drop off an isolation care package because we will be seen or validated or affirmed. It produces an approach to life that is so nourished by the love of God that there is an overflow into serving and helping and encouraging because that becomes who we are. Paul taught even from his jail cell. We can be a source of life and love and peace from wherever we are to whomever we counter, even when life looks however it looks. And we can build people and we can build the church even when life looks however it looks. So true contentment requires honesty, it produces action, and it must be learned. In verse 11, Paul says that he has learned to be content. It's not natural to humankind to just be happy regardless of circumstances. And he's suggesting that we can learn this because of a radical dependence on God. Verse 13 again, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what are we learning? Because it's clearly not a 10-step plan to happiness, right? It's a person. We're learning Jesus. We are learning who he is. We're growing to know him. And when we know him, we receive his love, and that love gives us the strength to be content no matter what. Even as we live with unfulfilled desires, because we all will, we can still be deeply happy. The more we know Jesus, the more we know real happiness and true contentment. The band's welcome to join me just as we finish up. And we started this evening with that interview about Brad Pitt and how everything that the world had to offer him was not enough for him to experience real happiness and real contentment. And I think that we can relate to him a little bit more than we probably would think. Because we live in Perth, Western Australia, right? And I am not saying that to, say, to tell you tonight that your life is easy. On the contrary, I know that it's not. Uh, life is pain for everyone. And on top of that, we can make a very compelling case for the spiritual and emotional and relational poverty of the West. That is what it is. So I'm not saying that life is easy, but what I am saying is that in a materialistic sense, we are incredibly privileged. And what that lends itself to is deriving our happiness from material things and consuming them so much to the point where we numb our own need and desire for the love of God in our days, weeks, months, lives, and years. Years and lives. And I know this is true because it's me. I personally am incredibly privileged and I see the tendency in my own life to overemphasize the good things whilst neglecting the things that matter most. Because it is so easy for me to just squash down my deep need and desire for connection with God by enjoying a lovely meal, right? And it is so easy for me to avoid an ache in my soul by just working really hard at my very rewarding job. And it is so easy for me to bypass my need to bring my anxiousness towards God by going to Pilates and getting an endorphin hit. 
And it is so easy for me to ignore my need to get my joy from God by watching a comedy on Netflix, right? And none of those things are even bad things. Most of them are good things. But if real happiness is less about the what of life, the things and the entertainment and the accomplishments and more about who I am becoming, then I really can't afford to live like that. It's really unlikely that I will ever be imprisoned like Paul for preaching the gospel. But if I were, then everything would be stripped back and who I really am and where I really find my happiness and my contentment would be revealed. You may never find yourself in a position where where you go for happiness and where you go for contentment is exposed. But the reality is at some point we probably all will. So what would be revealed? The invitation for you and I is to live in a way that receives the love of God every day and is slowly but surely transformed by Him, not into someone who has magically discovered happiness or contentment, but someone who knows happiness and knows contentment because at our core, we know God. Because at our core, we know God. Church, would you stand with me? We're about to take a moment to respond to what we've heard and to what God might be doing in, in, in your heart and your mind. So would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me? And we've talked tonight about how the actual guide to a happy life is to be willing to sacrifice the way of our world and choose Jesus. It's to allow Him to make contentment part of who we are, no matter what might be going on in our lives. And we talked about how we as humanity have chosen to take our autonomy from God and find happiness inwardly based on what we think and how we feel rather than based on who He is. Maybe that's a good description of your life tonight. Maybe you are doing your own thing, pursuing happiness based on your metric rather than God's. Can I tell you tonight there is a happier way? Not an easier way, not a pain-free way, but a richer, deeper, more purpose-filled way. To know true happiness is to know Jesus. He came into the mess of our world, not so that we could have a feel-good life, but so that we could have eternal life, a life in His kingdom of closeness with Him, of purpose, and of the next life spent with Him. We can gain a lot of things in this world, but we can't gain that. We can't gain eternal life. We can't be our own salvation. But because of Jesus' perfect life, His death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, a life of true happiness, of real contentment, and an eternity with Him are now available to us. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member, and let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.